and at the life of light and a mighty prophet of the Lord, uh, not Superman, but he had a super job to do and, and uh, depended on God. He had a unique personality, uh, even with flaws. And, but we see here kind of a dark spot in his life, a hard spot. And we're, it's in there so we can learn from it. And uh, it's not in there to observe as some kind of science fiction that entertains us. It's something that really happened that uh, is a process of life often with people, getting down, having the melancholy moments, and uh, perhaps dismal times. And he's in a dismal time here. So we're going to read the passage, and we're going to learn from it. And there's hope in it, God, how God treats Elijah's depression. That's the theme there. <clears throat> All right, here we go. First Kings 19. Verses 1 to 18, and we'll do a little review and then tackle some of the new material here. <clears throat> the Bible says here that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. About this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and he and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat and drink, of that meat, pardon me, forty days and forty nights unto Oreb, the mountain of God, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, or came to him and said unto him, Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the, children, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that he escapeth the sword of Hazael, shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You don't have to answer out loud, but have you ever been really down? Have you ever been really down? I mean, if you have, that should make you more interested in this, you know? You think, well, you know, I just got upset because we didn't get to go to McDonald's today. That didn't count. That didn't count, okay? <laughs> Usually it goes a lot deeper, right? And as you get older, you find out how deep you can go. When you're a kid, you know, you can have sorrows, and it's not like they're nothing. I remember having some pretty deep sorrows as a teenager at times, and there was a few people that came around and took me seriously. And in hindsight, I look back, and I'm like, that wasn't that big of a deal. But some people, they took it seriously and uh, helped me through it. But here's a man who's going through some deep sorrows. And sometimes as you get older, you go, it's kind of like <clears throat> you're, you learn different, new, you learn the depths of certain emotions. You learn the depths of despair. You learn the depths of sorrow. You learn the depths of being blah. And part of it is because of our bodies as you age in the way you know our bodies respond to different things and um, anyways here's a man of course elijah <clears throat> who was not the only one to ever ever feel like this down this melancholy this mood you know technically they'd call it a mood disorder that's what the secular definition de depression is a mood disorder um, uh, where you feel very low uh, dispirited etc Job felt like this, right? Job was very bad. Man, tough one. That's a tough one. I think Jesus had some... He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He plunged the depth of it. Imagine being... You know, some one of the things that makes you sad and sorrowful is when you feel like you have no friends. Even if you really did have friends, you just, I just feel friends. If you don't feel like you have friends, you just feel down. Imagine really all your friends gone. And then beat up, crucified, made fun of. And then the Father, there's this, and we'll look at that statement on the cross. My God, my God, what's all forsaken me? That is a, oh, oh, whew, that's the depth right there. Um, so people have felt it. People have felt this depression, this spiral, this, it's not just a discouragement. It's just pretty down, pretty down there. The next two steps we would say is despair of life and then demise of life. But depression's pretty down. John the Baptist felt it. Moses, you can see glimpses of it at least one time. David, it seems like, felt it several times. And then there's some unnamed psalmist that you see that. You see things like that. Um, Charles Spurgeon had some problems. And uh, he, he, had, he, he had a dark... Uh, he had physical problems. Like I mentioned last week, he died in his 50s. But um, 
uh, he had a depression. He really did. And you can read about it. He calls it, well, he even writes a, he even writes a thing for pastors called The Minister's Fainting Fits. It's in one of his books, Lectures to My Students. Pretty interesting. Abraham Lincoln certainly had some difficulty. But <clears throat> it's just something we need to acknowledge. People get depressed. Christians, God-loving, Bible-reading, prayerful, uh, Baptist, the best, whatever, all the thing, get all the check, check all the boxes, they still get depressed, right? Because <clears throat> we are in a, um, we're in a faulty world, we're in faulty bodies. And let me just say this, anything that helps is still just a temporary remedy. It's never a full cure. So what, even here, this is just temporary stuff that we're going to look at. The only full cure for anything is the next life in a new body. That's it. You know, and we rejoice in temporary grace and all that stuff that God gives us again and gives us again in temporary stuff, the medicine that helps us get, get over some malady, but we're gonna, something else is going to nail us. Everything's a temporary fix. So just enjoy it until it runs out, and you know. But here's what we see is God knows this. He knows and he takes, care, he takes care of his servant. We're going to help you through this. He may have gotten down maybe again or maybe probably didn't, but, but, if he, but, but he would be prone to it if God didn't take him up in a chariot again. So here it is. Let's just review some of this. We looked at kind of quickly the scenario by which, I don't have a clicker, the scenario by which Elijah got depressed. You can go to the next page, please. Um, the scenario was, again, we read... Um, Elijah had done three and a half years of... Well, he'd been probably a prophet for a good while, preaching and teaching, but there's three and a half years of an unusual time. What was so unusual about the last three and a half years? Thank you. Let's bring it. <clears throat> it was really dry. People were probably moody, right? Maybe some of them were like, it's your fault. We heard that you prayed for this. You know, he did pray for it, according to God's word. If you're wicked, that's what should happen. So he was, it's kind of like people got really wacky during this COVID year. We're all thrown off and are out of our routine. And I read articles about pastors and different, difficult, a lot of crazy stuff came out. And it's still coming out during that. I think there was some good in it. We could talk about that. But there was some weird. And I think this is a similar thing. You know, you got this three and a half years of everybody's thrown off. The whole nation's thrown off. This prophet here, he's having to be strong. He's out of his routine. He prayed for this. God's providing him through it, for it, but he's having to be strong. And, um, and it culminates in the Super Bowl of uh, prophet versus prophets, and he wins one on 800 and something. And the next day, he's like, man, I hate life. You know? And so it's a, it's a long period of trying to be strong, and, it, and now he's exhausted. And now this woman that it looks like he'd not normally be afraid of, She's unfazed by his Super Bowl win, unfazed. A lot of these other people repent. She's unfazed by the fact that fire came down from heaven and it didn't for her prophets. And a lot of people conceded that Elijah's God is true. She doesn't. She's really mad. She's like, I'm going to get you. And normally he probably wouldn't be too bothered. Now he's running off. So his scenario is this time of intense work. His symptoms, as, as I already mentioned, what are the symptoms? He's fatigued. He's unusually afraid. He's usually not this fearful. Courage tank is empty. Well, yeah, it happens to us. Like, man, I just don't feel like a courageous person right now. 
Yeah, I mean, that happens when your courage tank is empty. You're neglecting another one of his symptoms. He's neglecting his normal relationships. The end of verse 3, he, he goes south and he goes to the south part of his country, Beersheba, and he leaves a servant there. Normally, I'm telling you, these servants are usually with you all the time. It's almost like you can almost be rude to them. Like, you know, they're just supposed to be with you. And, uh, but he's left them there, and that's kind of rude too. He left them all and, and took off. And then he secluded, verse, which isn't always bad. It depends on how long you do it. Verse 4, he secludes himself. Here's another symptom of a deep depression. Secluded and despairing. He desire, desires death. He requests, verse 4, God, I want to die. Kill me. I want to die. Take away my life. And then he's comparing himself with his, with his uh, predecessors and his forefathers. He feels like a failure. I'm kill me because I'm not better than my fathers. I just can't live up to that. That's all that people. A lot of people face that. I cannot live up to what everybody else has been doing. You know what? If that's how we're living all the time, that will make you depressed. I got to be as good as so and so. I got to be as good as. That's tough. That is a tough thing to live up to. He feels like a failure. He's exhausted. So the so the focus for our time is solution. How does God treat him? And we we notice that um, there's a five kind of five-point treatment plan here that God has. And, and we're just going to walk, I'll quickly review the first three, and then we'll focus on these two. Again, uh, verse 5 and 6, God lets him rest. Nothing, you know, deep about that. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is just rest. Again, we're, we are, um, there's some things that go 24-7, right? Like something stores, and I don't even think that's good. Um, I can understand certain people being on call 24-7. There was always watchmen on a city. They were 24-7, but they were in shifts. There's certain things in our city. Brother Jose, our, our Spanish pastor, works for the town of Gilbert. They do a lot of our receiving of the water um, and sewage, and they have to be on call 24-7. So there's certain things. But, but you know what? For us, <laughs> we got to check out. There's a reason why God makes it dark. It triggers that, what's that thing in you? Melatonin? So you're supposed to be crashing. And then my phone works against that. <laughs> the light triggered this. No, not so much melatonin. Did you know that? The light will make your body resist releasing the melatonin. More lights makes your body resist that. So God says, you know what? I'm putting the lights out. Unless you live in Alaska, you got a really imbalanced. Putting the lights out, that means we go to sleep. And then just in the longer picture of running, uh, not just the daily thing, but a long period of work or all, or maybe there's been a season of a craziness. You're like, you're going to hit a wall. And some of us are different. And my wife and I have different paces, and I have to understand hers. She has to understand mine. And, but that, you know, here God says, you know what? Let's let this guy rest. They let him rest. God's treating depression by, there's not, and I'm not against medicine and stuff. I'm not. I'm just saying, I think there's a point for that. I really, I really think that there can be. But let's just say what he shows first. Let him rest. Let him rest. Then let his body re-nourish his body. So the angel comes, and I think it's just funny. He's sleeping. This, this man's snoring probably by the juniper tree. The angel, hey, get up. There's water by his head. I always keep water by my head, not so much the pulpit, but by my head when I'm sleeping too. And uh, water by his head, and then some bake, what does it say, bread, the, uh, the, the bread on the uh, coals. Uh, bacon, bacon, a cake, yeah, verse 6. A cake, bacon on the coals. Go ahead and eat that. It doesn't even say that he gets up and says, Whoa, an angel! 
he must be really tired. He's like, oh, okay, he eats the cake and eats and falls back to sleep. And then he wakes him up again, get up, because the journey's too, too long for you, which is interesting. <clears throat> Maybe he wasn't even thinking clearly. Maybe Elijah's like, I'm going to go to Mount Sinai. I'm depressed. And he starts walking. Hadn't been eating, hadn't been sleeping. So he crashes under the juniper tree, and the angel's like, this is too long for you. You're not even thinking clearly. You better eat some more. I don't know what was going on there, but he's letting them sleep. He's letting them, re- he's letting them eat and drink. That helps. That definitely helps. You don't want to oversleep. You don't want to overeat. You don't want to dive into alcohol and drugs and then run this other route. No, just eat and sleep. And, um, and then he removes them to a peaceful place. God allowed him seclusion already, this first part. And now he says, look what it says. He wrote, uh, went 40 days and 40 nights unto Mount Oreb, Oreb, the Mount of God. So again, this is not... Israel's over here. It's way over there. Well, this is part of it. But he was like, <clears throat> he was down here in Beersheba, and he goes way down here. Here's Egypt, this continent, Africa, that continent, um, Asia, and this bridge here of Mount Sinai, or Sinai, Sinai Peninsula, Mediterranean Sea. And uh, he comes down here, gets away from people, gets away. That's not a bad idea. Sometimes you need to get away. Now, look. However, I hope the Lord's teaching you as we're going along. I can't like really make show you every way this applies to you, but you see the idea: get away from people sometimes. You don't want to stay away. You have to live with, but you, sometimes to heal, that's part of it. Sometimes you need to get away, and so he finds that this is the area of the Sinai Mountains there, Sinai Peninsula area, and rugged, and he finds a nice cozy cave. My clicker works here. Mine's a nice COVID cave. Go to the next one there, Yannick. It's not working for me. And there he is. He's, re- he's retreating. No, nope, it's not showing it. Okay. Got a little cave there. So, anybody ever hung out in a cave? No, re- no okay. No, I mean, let's talk literal cave. Anybody? A little bit? What's that wave cave? Isn't there that wave cave hike back here behind the Anybody ever been to the wave cave? That's pretty cool. I was just thinking of that. Maybe I'll do that next time it gets bad for me. I'm going to hide over there. I, make just, I need somebody else at the bottom of the trail making sure nobody else comes up and bothers me. You know? It's a pretty cool little cave back there. Anyways, he's at a cave. It can be cool in there, too. Literally cool. Like, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Sometimes a hotel room can be a cave or a campsite can be a cave, right? So there he is. He's getting better. Now, this is cool. I like this. This point's packed with, the next two points are really packed with meaning. All right, these next two. God comes and he, they reflect together. Let's just think and talk a little bit. That's what I mean. Mentally, uh, verbally, visually. Let's just, let's just think here. And then God gives them some new, renewed purposes. Those are the next two points. So look what the Bible says. He came to the cave, verse 9, um, lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? So first thing I want you to see is God comes to him. He's there. And let's just take the first part. The word of the Lord came to him. Now, we know the word of the Lord in this instant is, is a question. He asks him. But let's, let's just not presume that this shouldn't be a part of our life. God's word needs to come to us at every season, every stage. 
right? I don't care what you are, how old you are, if you have this extreme personality problem, this extreme diagnosis or whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs the Word of God to come to them, right? And what's great is because we have the Holy Spirit, He knows exactly what word you need to see, what word you need to read for that moment. Aren't you glad about that? He knows exactly. I'm telling you, there's times, I mean, it happens often, but there's times where it's been unique times where I'm like, God gave me a passage, and it healed me unlike anybody else could have helped me. I'm telling you, only God through His Holy Spirit, His work can do that. God, the Word of God came to this guy. This is a guy who knows the Word of God. Ah, the physician's getting some, some medicine too. Right? That's what we need. The Word of God comes to him. He's reflecting on God's Word in that sense. And in this case, God's Word becomes now a question, what are you doing here? Which becomes a thought of they're reflecting. Um, God's letting him think, what am I doing here? God's thinking, making him think. What am I doing here? And then God's allowing him to say it, even if it's really dumb or inaccurate. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm really ticked off. He repeats himself on this thing. Well, let me tell you, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. That means it's, it's a way of saying I am, I am like the number one fan. I am the guy that's out in the front. And he really was out in front. And I have been serving you, the children of Israel. They are blowing it. They don't care about you. They, they forsake your altars. They've forsaken your covenant. They pull down your, throw down your altars. They're killing all of your prophets. And they're trying to come after me. I'm the only one left. He didn't know all the truth, by the way. He's going to get the rest of it later. I noticed God does not immediately correct him. Right. No, time out. You're wrong. It's not. God waits, lets him just spew out all the dump, all the stuff. All right, I didn't, I, I feel this. And Elijah just says everything. And God does not correct him yet. He just listens. That's kind of helpful, by the way, when we deal with one another. Sometimes you just got to listen to somebody. Don't give anybody the impression that, you know, lies are okay. But sometimes people just need to do a dump of, of, uh, of conversation dump. Like, I see, get all this out. For their own sake. And you just let them have talk. It's called talk therapy. Did you know that for these guys, the, they said they did studies for the guys that, from our military that suffer from PTSD. One of the biggest things they said to help, talk therapy. And I'm no expert on this. I've just read this. Talk therapy. Well, he's getting talk therapy, which is good. He's getting it with God. It's okay to complain in our prayers. You know that? Look at, I mean, the psalmist, you're like, whoa, God, are you mad at him for saying that stuff? I guess not. You recorded it. You know, the psalmist says some stuff. And I guess it's okay to do that. Uh, here's Elijah. He's, he's, God's word comes to him. He's getting talk therapy with God. Now there's this object lesson. This is interesting, this little object lesson here. He's in this cave. Here's another picture. I'm sorry if it's not cool enough for you, but he's in the cave, and all of a sudden, so look what it says, verse 11. Um, Go, stand forth upon the mount before the Lord. And so it appears he comes to the edge of this cave, and what happens? The Lord passed by. And so there was an effect uh, or something after the Lord passed by. A great, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Whoa! 
I've never heard of a wind breaking mountains. So God triggered this. But he came by and then... But he wasn't actually in that. He went there and... He's showing him an object lesson here. So I was like, whoa, can you... That would be... This is scary. In fact, when I go to that that wave cave one time, I was like, what if there was an earthquake? I think like that, like... Even when I'm like hiking places, you ever hike places, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And you see like there's all these rocks and you see this, like this crack and it goes, you're going, please stay. (laughs) All right. Don't give loose while I'm here. (laughs) So, I mean, he's in this cave and an earthquake happens. Whoa. He's like, oh, all right. Well, it happens. And then, then it's not over. What happens, uh, the, the wind, uh, the wind, and then the earthquake happens later. So the wind comes through, breaks the mountain in pieces. The Lord wasn't in the wind. Then the earthquake at the end of verse 11. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in an earthquake. Whew! Boy, a strong wind. That was loud, too. Earthquakes are loud, also. And then verse 12. So you have the wind, you have the earthquake. Verse 12, a fire. Whoa! God, is he going to barbecue me here? Verse 12, after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he responded to the still small voice, apparently. He wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entering end of the cave. I think he wanted to be a little careful. Or he was just reverent in a particular way. And and then that voice came to him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? There's a, there's a bunch of different takes on this. And one of the things I'm I just trying to see here as a whole is this moment here when he's, again, this is a guy depressed. God's taking care of him. God's letting him talk. But one of the things the Lord is doing is giving him an object lesson to help him learn something new about God. It's always good to learn something new about God, or get a, a, a fresh angle on one of his character qualities. And the thing I see is, you know what? God's not in all the hype. The, the biggest thing is somebody responding to his still small voice. Did you know, it, they think, remember what happened? What does it say? One of the last statements God said to him, hey, by the way, I got 7,000 people that haven't compromised. Did you, you think that they were produced by Carmel? Or do you think they were already following the Lord? In other words, I think sometimes um, God, there's, there's these big events, but sometimes, the, sometimes um, big events can be, get too almost overrated. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Um, the thing that we need to treasure most is simply God's still small voice. And knowing him. And I think God's just, what I guess what I'm saying is God's showing him a personal, his, a personal quality. Follow my still small voice. And he's showing him a, per, a personal side. You know, um, and so he says, and, they, and then he says again, verse 13. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out and stood in the entering cave. And behold, a voice came unto him. What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. And uh, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, 
And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now again, so what's happening? God's treating him by giving them moments to reflect and to communicate. And to, God's uniquely teaching him something through this earthquake fire moment. And he's letting him vent again. Do you think he feels like there's a little injustice going on? Do you think Elijah feels like, I don't like injustice? A lot of people. So Reading the Bible, there's a lot of people going, God. And that's normal. Even in heaven, there's souls under an altar saying, how long are you going to wait on this? How long? And God eventually catches up, right? The wheels of justice go slow, but they go sure. Elijah in part saying, boy, this isn't right. There's a lot of stuff not right down there. And he kind of repeats himself. And I'm not having very much fun. They're trying to kill me. So he's venting. And now God's going to answer him um, and, and say some things. So let's go to this next thing. How else does God treat him? By giving him a renewed purpose. A renewed purpose. So let's consider verses 15 to 18. But let, let, me, let me stop before we go to that point. Let me stop. Let's think about us. Sometimes we need, to do, we need to do this again before we go to the next one. I just need to give God a chance to influence my mind. Give God a chance to teach me something by getting away and say, God, what do you want to tell me? Um, and even complain in my spirit to him. And see what, how he responds. And say, God, I'm just an Elijah. And you said that uh, he was a man of like passions. And so I'm, I'm relating with some of his passions here. And, and allow God to treat you like you did Elijah. And then the next thing that God did, did, and I think this would help for anybody who's down, after a while, after a while, people need to see, what am I here for? Because he wanted to die, but now God's saying, hey, I got it. After, after helping him already and really giving him a little bit of remedy, he says, by the way, I've got something for you to do now. So notice verses 15 to 18. He renewed purpose. The Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Now I'm going to stop. I don't have a map. Um, I, I, the one map I have, I don't want to show that one. He says he's way south. Now he's go to, go to Damascus. That's the far yeah. north side. of. It's out of Israel, north of it. So now travel a way long way. So he's going to be thinking. He's going to have some more time by himself too. He's going to be thinking and thinking about what God's saying. God's given him a purpose. He's going to be thinking. Of. And but, but notice what he says. There's three people that he's going to anoint and have his hand on. You, there's, in other words, God says, hey, I got something for you to do. These three people, I need somebody to anoint this king of Syria. That's not Israel. That's outside of the country. I need somebody. I need a prophet from my people to go and choose a king over this other nation. It's amazing how God can, you know, he has his prophets sometimes speak up to do that. And I need you to you anoint this other king, Jehu, who would be the one who would follow Ahab, and he was tired of Ahab. And I need somebody to anoint Elisha, who's your uh, protege, who's going to follow you. I need you to do that. All right, then. 
gives them a purpose. I need to go see this guy in Syria. I need to go see Jehu. And I need to go see Elisha. Maybe he already knew who he was. All right, he's giving them something good to do. Sometimes it's good to have something good to do. Now listen, we're, there's different reasons for depression, and I'm not going to address all of them. But sometimes after a while, we just need to get up and say, How, who can I invest in? Who can I help? And get our eyes off ourselves and on somebody else to help them. And that's what he's doing. All right, go see this guy, um, Hazael, and, and then uh, Jehu and Elisha. So God's given him a purpose that helps him to be a little less self-focused. See that? Now, sometimes you can be others-focused to a fault, and that could bring you, that wears you down too, right? Um, that does. But here he says, okay, God, here's another thing God's doing. A renewed purpose. He's saying, he's getting, okay, let's stop thinking about Ahab for a little while and all that. Let's give you a new job to do. There's a guy, I was telling um, our sister Becky Miller a little this morning, there's a guy, I love this. This hymn that we sing, what is it, 309. I, I, this is interesting. William Cowper, he wrote, There is a Fountain. Now, I, don't think he did the, I don't think he did the melody part. It says it's an early American melody. He wrote the words, he was an Anglican Christian. From England. Interesting life. This guy had, he had some problems. He had mental illness. William Cowper did. And the, to, to make his story really short is he really had, he had problems with mental illness. They're pretty severe. He wanted to commit suicide. One of the problems he was coming off of being a rejected kind of an engagement scenario. And then he had bouts of it other times. It got better. Didn't go away. But it got better after he genuinely got saved and got his heart and mind in God's work. That's what the record shows. But it still didn't go away. He ended up living with some friends. He never got married. Uh, he ended up living with different friends, and one of the friends had died, and it brought him another depression and some other things that were pretty severe. And then towards the end of his life, he just had some crazy stuff. There was another person that died he knew, and he, and he, knew and he, and he was like... Um, he had a hard time. He had a hard time. But he wrote that song. And people even said, you know what? This man was a believer. He's genuine. There's just, he's, he's suffering from something. You know, and I think it goes beyond this subject here. I think it goes beyond this one. But what I was trying to, what I was thinking of was this man, William Cowper, he was actually an English writer and poet. The secular world knew him. He translated like Homer's Iliad for his day and age and some other classic works, and, and he wrote things that people read, and then he wrote a few hymns. But one of the things they said that helped him was some lady, one lady, it was a lady friend, no romantic connection, said, you know, why don't you write a story about, and I can't remember what it was, but she gave some kind of title, some kind of theme, why don't you write on such and such? And he's like, yes. And it gave him a focus. And he was, he, they said that kept him from going crazy the second time. Because <laughs> it gave him something to do. It gave him a purpose. That's my point, is that it, they, somebody gave him something that was a purpose, and it helped him. Now, here, what's God saying? Let's think of Elijah. All right, Elijah, go anoint this guy to be king in um, Syria. 
this guy to be the next king in Israel, Jehu, and Elisha to be your protege. Go do that. All right, then. And by the way, here's how this, is, here's how this affects you. Notice he's not done talking about this. Look at verse 17. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth of the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Now, these three characters, now I want you to know Hazael was, did not go well uh, in the long run. He was a bad guy. He ended up doing overboard harm to Israel. Overboard. But at first, apparently God used the Syrian king to, to start ex- executing some justice. What was Elijah wanting to see? A little bit of justice. So go anoint these guys. This guy's going to start bringing the, bringing the hammer down. And anybody that runs away, Jehu, he's going to catch him. Oh, Jehu almost, he went overboard too. He was like, come see my zeal for the Lord. I mean, he's the crazy guy. This is like the road rage guy. He like, he, if there was machine guns, he'd be like, Yahoo! he's the crazy Jehu. He liked riding crazy in his chariot. He loved killing people. He loved killing Baal worshipers. It wasn't that he was faithful to the Lord, really. He loved killing. He goes, I'm going to go do a sacrifice with Baal too. Come with me. And he like kills a bunch of people that came there. I mean, he was crazy. And so, but, but God used them in, uh, to execute some justice that was necessary. And he says, hey, this guy's going to do this. Anybody that escapes, Jehu's going to catch him. People that escaped Jehu, apparently Elisha. It doesn't record it, but we're going to take God's word here. Elisha had a part in carrying out some executions of criminal activity, according to God's word in that day. So how does, oh, God does care about some of this stuff. God's not asleep. That encourages him. That purpose encourages him. And then he's encouraged that he's not alone. This purpose, I got a purpose for you to do. As you're going about, I want you to know you're not alone. Verse 18. Yet have I left me 7,000. Wow. 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. And every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he's saying, this is great. Now remember, Elijah says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. And then God shows him some things, and he says, now why are you here again? I told you I'm the only one left. And then God finally answers him, by the way, they're not the only one left. And it can feel that way, right? Sometimes it feels like we're the only one. And by the way, Paul mentions this in Romans 11, that God always has a remnant. I think it was Romans 11. And Paul appeals to this scripture. So let's think about kind of church age type stuff. God always has some congregations that are faithful. Sometimes we see them, but when we don't, they're out there. They're out there. That's why we have a different view of Christian church history. There's always a faithful church in history. They did not go all the Catholic route so that Martin Luther saved everybody out of it. No, there was always protesting people. God always has a remnant. And they may have been called Baptists or other things, but God always had a remnant. And so he's saying, hey, listen, you're not the only one. Man, that's got to encourage you. When you feel like I'm the only one, man, we're like, oh, there's others out there? Even if you don't know, oh, that's encouraging. 7,000? Wow. People have been, maybe they were scattered. Maybe they're further away from his theaters of activity, you know, north and south sections or whatever. I don't know. 
But that's got to encourage him, should encourage us. And, and so God gives him some purpose. God encourages him, showing that there's other people. And so we got to think for myself, when I get, if I get to this place, I got to look back and say, God, do I need some Elijah treatment? <laughs> Let's take me through that. Or even to help somebody else. I, I want to just give you this little thing right here. This guy I mentioned, William Kelper. When he died, he had trouble even, even in his day, last days. A little disturbed. He didn't die as peaceful and pleasant as you would like to say, see. But he said when he died, they said when he died, after he, right as he died, you know, he was very uncomfortable and di- disturbed. Disturbed. Um, you know, we can have a liver illness, a stomach illness, a lung illness, and we can have illnesses here, right? And these are the ones hard to figure out because this is the most complex organ, right? I think he had one there. But when he died, they said... In his distress, he died. And right as he died, they said this. It was as if, as he died, there came upon him, as it were, a holy surprise. And he, and on his face. You know, it's like, okay, he's, he's done now. And I, I just say that because even all this stuff of, whether it's this, that's an extreme mentalness, and then you have depression, and you have these other things. Whatever it is, we want God to help us. We want God to treat us, and here's a cool little treatment plan. But you know what? Every, nothing's going to be totally gone until we put off this mortal. Right? And we'll have a holy surprise for some and holy expectations for others of us that are saved. Thank the Lord for our time. Lord, thank you for the word, and uh, thank you that you can...